Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Lori. Welcome to week two of Advent, which also means that we are in week two of our Advent series called Jubilee. Um, as a reminder, Advent is the season in the church calendar that is focused on preparation. It's the season of waiting, waiting with anticipation of Christ's coming. So in this season of anticipation and preparation and waiting, it totally makes sense that the second week of Advent is focused on peace, right? Who doesn't just automatically think about peace when they're waiting? I mean, aren't we all overcome with peace in all of our, our time waiting in lines at the store this time of year? And aren't we all filled to the rim with peace while we're waiting for our Amazon packages to be delivered, hopefully sometime before Christmas? Tis the season of peace, right? Even through the camera, I can see some of your faces right now. Yeah, this season isn't always full of peace for me either. And this year, this season comes with some very unique challenges. I can look back at this past year that has been full of questions and debate, disorientation and upheaval, and struggle to find anything that resembles normal, <clears throat> which also makes it hard to see and find anything that resembles peace. I think in some ways, it has felt to most of us like a tornado has just set up camp right on top of us for the past nine months, wreaking havoc on every single part of our lives, picking up every part of our lives, every piece of our lives, and then just flipping it, changing the way that we do everything, work, school, shopping, interacting with our friends and our family, socially distanced. Even church as we have known it has changed. And just when we think we get one of those areas of our lives somewhat figured out in this new normal for however long that new normal lasts, it seems like it all shifts again. 2020 has been full of chaos and we have been in an almost constant state of pivot which has made peace pretty elusive for most of us this year. So how in the world are we supposed to look at this second week of Advent, this season of waiting and anticipation for what is to come with any semblance of peace? Instead of feeling like we're just waiting for another shoe to drop. How are we to rest in the hope that whatever is next will be better than whatever is now. So maybe, maybe peace is really the last thing that comes to your mind when you think of this season, especially this season, and especially this year. And I get that. But what if you, what if we looked at this season differently? What if we try to experience this season of Advent the way it was intended to be experienced? A season of preparation, a season of anticipation with hope. And yes, even a season of waiting with peace. 
and actually because of peace. Now, for us to explore that, I want to go back to the section of scripture from the Old Testament that Pastor Mike talked about last week from Leviticus 25. As a little recap, this is the section of scripture from where we get the, the title of our series, Jubilee. This is, this is where God has told Moses to instruct the Israelites to give the land a full year of rest, a Sabbath rest every seventh year. He tells them they can plant for six years, but in verse four, it says this. <clears throat> During the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. So as we look at this scripture, it is showing us that the Lord says to Moses to give these instructions to the people of Israel. The people who have wandered in the desert, the people for who planting and harvesting had become one of the primary ways for them to eat, for them to provide for their families. They couldn't just go to the local grocery store and buy whatever they needed to live. They had to meticulously plan and plot and plant and water and care for, harvest and then reap a crop of food to eat. This was their pattern. This is what they knew. And this had to happen every season in order for the people to be able to eat and live. So these words, these instructions here must have been a little confusing and at the very least frustrating and, and probably a little scary to the Israelites. Now on the surface, it could have looked like God was saying, I know you have this whole system of how you work the land to provide the food for all your people, but I'm going to need you to not do that for an entire year. Oh, and by the way, we're going to take that break every seven years. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I had a little freak out earlier this year at the thought of Publix being out of some of my favorite food items for a few weeks, forgetting about the fact that my pantry and freezer probably had enough food to sustain us for several weeks. Still, I had a minor freakout moment. Try telling me that I cannot do the thing that I know to do in order to provide the food for my family for an entire year. And not just one time, but every seven years. So on the surface, this looks like a complete disruption to the plans and systems that the Israelites had put in place to feed themselves and their families. But in reality, what God was actually saying to them was this. I want you to let the land rest. And more importantly, I want you to take a rest from the planting and the harvesting. What I really, really want is for you to trust me to provide all that you need. Go ahead and eat what the land produces on its own because I created the land. And that's just one way. That's just one way that I will provide for you during that year of rest. Just trust me. God isn't just telling them what not to do here. 
in this text. He's actually inviting them to do something. And that something is to trust him instead of their own hands, their own minds, and their own plans. Instead, trust him. And this isn't the first time God's children had been asked to trust God. Remember back in Exodus when these same Israelites began their wandering in the desert and they were complaining because they didn't know where their next meal would come from and God provided manna for them. He provided the perfect amount of food they needed each and every single day. He asked them to trust him and he proved to them that he could and should be trusted. And even in the New Testament, God's children are reminded that God will in fact take care of them. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, don't worry about your everyday life, the food you'll eat or what you'll drink or where. He reminds us that even the birds don't plant and store food. They rely on the father to take care of them, to provide for them each and every day. And if he gives that level of care to the birds in the sky, then you, can you even imagine how he will care for us? Jesus reminds us that God knows our every need and he asks us to trust that God will provide it. And the truth is, God is still inviting us to do that today. Maybe he's not asking us to stop planting and harvesting, but maybe he's asking us to trust that he will provide a plan for the job that is so desperately needed. Or maybe he's asking us to trust him to restore a broken relationship on his timeline. And maybe he's asking us to trust him when he calls us to reach out to the other person in that broken relationship. And when we do trust him for those things, that's when we find peace. We rarely, if ever, can manufacture our own peace. We, a lot of times, we define the word peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of pain or hard times. But in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it isn't referring to the absence of conflict. Instead, it's referring to the presence of something better in its place. When the Bible speaks of shalom, peace, it means to make something complete or to have it be restored. Shalom, peace is the presence of completion and reconciliation, restoration. Let me say that again. Peace is the presence of completed work. The presence of reconciliation and restoration. What or who does that maybe sound like to you? And if you answered Jesus, you're right. Yes, that is the Sunday school answer. It also is the correct answer. Scripture over and over again throughout the New Testament points us to Jesus as the completed work of the reconciliation between us and God. He says that we can live in God's kingdom here on earth because of the completed work of Jesus on the cross. That Jesus has reconciled us to God by what he's done. So when we're not feeling peace, 
It means that we are missing the very presence of God that is with us, that is within us. Second Thessalonians 3 says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. The Lord himself will give you peace always in every situation. And the very next sentence tells us how the Lord be with all of you. Always presence. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It isn't the absence of hard things. It isn't the absence of the coronavirus. Peace is tapping into and holding on to the presence of God, trusting him for all of our needs. The Israelites were asked to let the land rest and to rest themselves not just because God knew the land and the people were tired and it would be good for them to rest. He wanted them to rest in him, to trust that he would provide for them, that he would make sure they had all that they needed. And he wanted them to remember that he was for them and he was with them. So, if it was true for God's children in the Old Testament, and it was true for God's children of the New Testament, is it possible that it's true for us today? What is this invitation to peace that's available to us? If it helps, I'm going to tell you what my invitation is to peace this week. My invitation to peace is to completely and fully trust God with the care and protection for my family and for Carl as he travels to Haiti. At least once a year for almost the past 15 years, my husband Carl has traveled someplace out of the country for a mission trip. He's made several trips to serve alongside our ministry partners in Guatemala and, and Uganda and Haiti. His passion for global missions is incredible. Some of you guys have gotten to experience that with him, going on trips with him. A lot of you have gotten to experience that excitement just listening to him share about his trips. And every single trip rubs off on somebody as he talks about it. Some of you, like I said, have gotten swept up into that passion and have actually gone, traveled with him or not even with him, but you've just grabbed onto that passion. I love, as his wife, I love getting to support him in his passion for this ministry. I'm proud to watch him serve in this area of passion using the gifts that God has given him. It is a beautiful thing to witness and to be a part of. But it also comes at a cost for us. And I don't mean financially, although there is always some sacrifice financially that we have to make in that area. But the sacrifice I'm talking about today is the cost of my peace the entire time he's gone. 
Regardless of where he's traveling to, I am concerned for his safety while he's traveling and for his health while he's away. And with good reason, by the way, because the last time he went on a mission trip, he came home with malaria. So this isn't out of left field here. It costs me a little bit of my peace for him to go. And when he goes to Haiti in particular, I can feel my peace starting to slip away just in the days and the weeks leading up to his trip. See, Carl has traveled to Haiti many, many times. And every, every time that he's gone there, every time but one, every time he's gone to that specific place, some major thing has happened in our family. Something that we've had to deal with and contend with and endure while he's been gone. Now, it's been anything from the glass in, the, in our French door, in the back of the, in our, uh, our back door. It's a French door and it's all glass. And it has, one time Jackson and I were just sitting in the living room while Carl was in Haiti and it, it just shattered. Nothing hit it. We were sitting right there in the room. Nothing had hit it. It just completely shattered. It's been from something, something like that to emergency surgery for me. I had to have emergency surgery and was in the ER while Carl was in Haiti and a friend had to call him to give him that news. The most, one of the most significant was with his very first trip was the death of a very close family member. Actually, it was my mother. My mother passed away while Carl was on his first trip to this place. I've been asked many times over the years, don't you ever just want him to stop going just, just to Haiti? And my answer is always no way, absolutely not. First of all, none of the things that have happened are the fault of any of the people that he serves or serves with while he's there. That's important to know. It's important for me to remember. I can't blame a, a nation of people for the bad things that have happened while my, my husband is there. But second of all, and more importantly, I am absolutely positive that he is supposed to go. And all of these things, these from, from minor inconveniences to incredible heartbreak that happened while he's gone could easily deter him or deter us from doing what he know he's supposed to do. But being sure he's supposed to go even after all this time and so many trips, I always, even though I am sure, I always seem to allow it to affect my peace still. Now, I can easily start to focus on the bad things and it can quickly challenge my battle against anxiety. But the strange thing that's happened over the years, instead of me getting more and more afraid, generally, it's caused me to learn to trust God more and more. A very wise woman in our community, Amy Gortney, many of you know her, said to me before Carl's very first mission trip, honey, it's safer for Carl to be in God's will there, wherever there is, than out of God's will here in your own living room. And I have prayed every time he's gone, Lord, if it is your will to go, Make it so before the trip. And God always unbelievably opens the doors for him to go. All of the bad things from little to big 
that happen while he's gone could become good reasons for him to stay. But that would only be based in my will, not God's. That would be about how I control my peace, not me relying on the peace that can only come from God. In order for me to trust God with my husband's very life, I have to know and trust who God is. I have to know God's character. I have to know God's goodness. I have to know that he is for me and my family. I have to pay attention and remember his track record, his history of faithfulness to me, to us. So every one of these trips ends up increasing my trust of him. And it reminds me that that's where all of my peace comes from. Peace has never come from what I have been able to control or to coordinate. It has never come from the absence of hard things or conflict. True peace has only ever come from God's provision and protection and from me trusting his decisions for us. It has only ever come from his overwhelming presence. John 14 says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. Take this gift of my peace that I have left with you. My presence that I have left with you. Trust me, I've got this. God is a God who has proven that he can be trusted to provide for me and for my family and for all of us. He knows our every need and his invitation to us is to trust him for those needs. Despite COVID, despite political differences, despite your boss, your job, your relationships, despite Haiti, he knows our every need. So this second week of Advent, this week where my focus is supposed to be on waiting with peace, I already know where my peace will be challenged and I will have a choice. I can either try to manufacture my own peace like I have definitely tried to do many times before or I can open up my hands and completely surrender my will and just Trust the one who has always faithfully provided, protected, and cared for me and my family. As we light this candle of peace this second week of Advent, and we consider the words from the Advent reading from this week that we heard earlier from Isaiah, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Clear the way. While you listen to the song at the end of this message, I'd ask you to consider what does your wilderness look like? What do you need to clear? Where might you be lacking peace in this season? And then ask yourself if it's possibly because you're trying to manufacture your own peace instead of trusting God. Instead of trying to experience shalom peace, which isn't the absence of, 
of hard things. It's the presence of something better in its place. Peace be with you.